GateWorld.net exclusive interviews. David Palfi. Are you hoping for Anubis return in season eight? Mm. Yeah, sure, I would. I would love, you know, the thing with Anubis that it would be nice. I mean, I, I spoke, you know, it's often been said about getting some backstory on Anubis and mm-hmm. eventually revealing his face and and, mm-hmm. and um, things like that. But that would be very interesting and, and, you know, wonderful to get a chance to do. I mean, so in that request, I, I would I would love to come back. But I mean, um, again, if who's to say? You know, I know that um, it appears that he's gone. But again, there's some uh, there have been some rumblings from beyond that Anubis may still lurk in the dark recesses of the universe. You know, <laughs> yeah, he is energy. For his return in season eight. Yeah. But again, uh, as I mentioned before, those 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 those, those murmurs they belong to the writer gods. So. <laughs> But if not, you know, I, I must say, I'd um, again, there's another, hopefully, maybe there's another instance where I'd, I'd love to be reinvented as a third gold, you know. It's, uh, again, you know, with, um, again, perhaps, you know, having his face uh, sort of exposed. Because it, it's always, um, uh, is interesting. It, it provides a kind of an interesting... Um, how can I say, um, not so much an obstacle, but, you know, when you're working under a cloak, as uh-huh. Anubis with your face hidden, it does provide some interesting challenges in uh-huh. an actor, and especially, as I said, when your voice is also flanged, making it unrecognizable. But like any role, you have to find a way to communicate through those obstacles as uh-huh. best you can and use them to your advantage. Uh, you have to consider them more as choices made by the character for a specific purpose rather than the ideas created from a writer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, it allows you, as a result, see, you have to find a way, and sometimes when you find a way to act through uh, that for cloak, it gives you a sense of, okay, um, this, is, this is a character thing. For example, um, you know, Anubis wears a cloak, and basically it defines who he is and what he represents. But from my point of view, you can't play energy, so you have to define him briefly, Mm -hmm. you know, as being someone human and justify that he wears this apparel or this this cloak as a disguise. Or maybe he's hiding a physical abnormality that's important to reveal, (laughs) you know, which dictates why he moves the way he does, Uh why he rarely looks directly at someone, because Anubis doesn't. He doesn't ever look directly at somebody. Mm-hmm. The only time he's ever done that is with Daniel. Okay. You know. Right. And see, these are interesting. See, these are my little things with, with Anubis, which helps in the way he moves, because basically otherwise he is. I mean, he's just a black cloak, you know, um, just standing there. And you have to try to present him uh, in such a way that that's why I said every little movement it, it's the minimalism you know it's it's the smallest movement has to be weighted right. he doesn't move right um, unless he really has to and that's why then hopefully when he does move it, it's it's powerful you know I mean the slight move of the head these kind of things everything's with a purpose yeah it's interesting that you said he only looked Daniel in the eye, because Daniel was ascended and had been 
uh, at equal, perhaps semi-equal standings with Anubis. And, That's right. And he was the only one that he would actually look in the face and take on honestly. Yeah, because that's the only person that I think Anubis and his mind really feared. There was a fear fact, you know. I mean, really? Yeah, it's one of those things that I think is a is a, is a uh, it's one of those instances where you're faced with somebody that's perhaps your equal. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, Anubis, in his you know, in his sort of demented mind, has no equal. Uh huh. And that's why he's, um, I think that's why he's able to do in his, what he does, uh-huh. that whole thing. I mean, there's that whole thing. Not that he fears, you know, uh, or he feared Daniel, but it's like, you know, coming, uh, facing off with a worthy opponent, mm-hmm. you know, that he's got to, that he, and that was the first time he kind of revealed, I mean, remember when the face... Yes, Nubis's face. That's the only time that you actually see that, mm-hmm. you know. And it was something. Well, whether it was it was something grotesque about it, but that's the only time that it's, that that's ever happened. Yeah, that confrontation. That's. I think that'll go down in sci-fi as is one of the neatest confrontations for a really long time, even though it was yeah. pretty brief. And one of the things that I have always wondered is Anubis dared him dared Daniel to blow him away. Yeah. Did he know that the ancients would prevent Daniel from from harming him? Or did he no, just say... No, I don't think so. Not, not at that time. Okay. No. No. Because he put out his hand, and then Herak was like, oh, you are really powerful. And then Anubis was like, ah, that wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, there's a, there's a, there's a, that was a discovery also for Anubis right there, that... Okay, there's there's something more at work here, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think that uh, again, it's 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 one of those things that's okay. He's is like some of these villains. The they they encounter something and then they discover something and then they quickly move on. It's huh. like you know, a character like Anubis doesn't dwell on the fact that oh, okay, there's something more here. You know, he makes a decision, goes for it, and and then uh, decides what to do next. Uh-huh. But it, it, it it's kind of interesting, though. I mean, um, with Anubis, I mean, I was reading some time ago um, uh, online that uh, you know, to some people, Anubis, uh, you know, seems over the top. You know, mm-hmm. and I have to say that it, you know. Whether he's a caricature, I suppose, is open for argument, you know, and is, if that's what makes him coming over the top. But the fact is that it, it does make me chuckle, you know, when people say that, because I, I know that that, that in itself would need, indeed flatter Anubis. He would be <laughs> flattered by that, simply because of who he is, you know, and how he says things and what he says and and what he represents. I mean, Anubis is a god... You know, he's not fully ascended, so he's mm-hmm. not, you know, he's basically an outcast, mm-hmm. you know. And as I say, and he's resulting in displaced energy that's evil, that has been temporarily, like, harnessed under a hood to give him physical form. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the image of death, the figure of death incarnate, and he's surrounded by a black robe. I mean, that symbol in, uh, 
in itself has been around since the dawn of time. And, yeah, that in itself is over the top. So somebody say, well, um, you know, Anubis is over the top. Why is it? Well, I mean, look what he represents. Yeah. I mean, his whole existence is basically predicated on living up to that theme, and that's a theme that's time immemorial, you know. And, of course, as an actor, you've got to do, you've got to work with that. To do otherwise, you know, to underplay that will work against the idea of what he represents, because he's a colorful, regardless of whether you like him in the show or not, he's definitely a colorful contrast to the Stargate team. Mm-hmm. who represents, mm-hmm. you know, what is good in humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's that time-old struggle of good versus evil. You know, I mean, like he's... Um, and there's a reason why I think that he's, like I said, um, dressed the way he is. Yeah. Um, uh, otherwise, well, okay, if he isn't, that's a reason. And, of course, because he's symbolic, I mean, just like Sokar, Sokar, you know... Um, is seen as the devil. Yeah. You know? Um, these are very strong figures, whether they're mythological or not, they are very strong figures that are symbols. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and they're very symbolic. Uh, with all these gods, they're very symbolic in what they do. And, and even the way they speak and their gestures. Again, there's a certain grandeur about who they are. Again, not all of them. I mean, but definitely with Anubis and Sokar, because I think with both of these these gods, they see them above the others. Mm-hmm. Whether they are or not, that's questionable. That's open for debate. But what would be very interesting is to get, I always found to have Anubis and, and Sokar sit opposite each other and play a game of chess. You know? would win. <laughs> I would, yeah, and that's a question, because they, uh, those two would be very worthy um, opponents, uh-huh. you know. Sure. Um, it would be very interesting. Let's say you never return to the Stargate stage. I mean, I'm, I'm, I personally am hoping that that's not the case, that you'll be back. Yeah. But has it been a good run? Have you, have you enjoyed yourself? Oh, absolutely, David. I, um, I'm grateful, you know. Uh, I'm grateful for the journey. Um, if the journey... I would hate to say that the journey has ended mm-hmm. or uh, or will be ending soon. Mm-hmm. Again, that's uh, up to the writers to decide, but I have um, had a great time um, playing these, these characters and also being a part of the cast and crew and come across and having met uh, all these people that make the show because I don't believe a show would be as successful as it is without the cast and crew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. they're, they're a good um, show to work with and for, and, and it starts with, I think, Michael Greenberg, and it starts with Richard, who are, uh, first and foremost, uh, very professional, and they know what they want, and at the same time, they're very, um, they're very open people, and they're very good to, and personable people. Um, who not only do you respect, but you like. And I think that's, you know, that that's important, you know, when you're working on a show. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, um, because it's like an extended family. You know, you're a little bit of an extended family for however long it lasts, away from home. And um, you you have to, I feel, it's, it's, 
it's good to to enjoy yourself on a show because I've worked on other shows where, for whatever reason, the dynamics were not very good with um, the producers and the directors, hence the cast, and it makes for a very uh, uncomfortable working environment. Um, and that's definitely not the case with Stargate, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's, um, among many others, of course, why it's been successful up to now. Yeah, that creativity is allowed to flow because of the yeah, relationships. Yeah, exactly, because it's, you know, I mean, everybody's open to, you know, discussing things if there's a problem. I mean, I'm not saying that there, there have been moments of tension on the set, but I honestly have to say it's very few and far between. And with the kind of show that it is and what they actually do on the show, you would think um, it would fall um, it would fall um, victim to a lot of in-house bickering <laughs> you know because because you are dealing not you know I mean you're dealing with um right at this moment it's probably the uh, the number one sci-fi show right with Atlantis coming up and everything exactly. And I mean, so in order for it to sustain that success, um, you have to rely on on on, on a very uh, clear chain of command that are open to changes. But at the same time, the thing is with about the show, it does it operates uh, like a fine machine. When you mm-hmm. go on set, everything's organized. Mm-hmm. You get there, you get to your wardrobe. Everybody knows exactly what they're doing. Um, they do their job. Everybody's very pleasant. They get their days, and then the day starts over. You know, um, whereas there have been other shows that I've been on, um, similarly, that are completely the opposite. And what happens is, regardless of how good maybe the writing is or what concepts are um, being uh, developed, you know, for the idea for the show, if there's a breakdown in command, they don't get their days, and yeah. it starts costing more money, yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. And as you know, I mean, that's the basic bottom line. It's like, what kind of show can you make, you know, for this amount of money, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and keep make it successful. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know. And and I think that it also is. Um, partly due to the cast because they the main cast you know because they're very easy and um you know group to work with and they know what they're doing mm-hmm. yeah they've been going at it for sure a long time <laughs> yeah um well here's hoping that uh if that you'll get into season eight and if not that there's a lot of starting atlantis ahead so Never know. Yeah, we'll have to see, David. We'll, you know, keep our fingers crossed. At least I'll keep my fingers crossed. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we will too. Uh, yeah. you, you mentioned that you were on a film with Morgan Freeman. Can you tell us about anything about that? Oh sure. Um, well, I just finished doing uh, a film called first because uh, I just am doing them both at the same time. But I just finished on a film called Premonition, which is um, with um, Casper Van Diem. You know of the uh, Stormtroopers. Remember the Starship film? Troopers. Starship Troopers. Yes. I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, yes, he played John. That he'd kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, and that's basically about a um, a detective who has a near life, a near, near death experience, um, 
while he's um, he comes in contact with a group of terrorists who mm-hmm. are have infiltrated a, uh, a U.S. city and they're looking to put a bomb together, right? Uh-oh. And um, and of course, as a result of that, he's able to he has these premonitions about things that are going to happen, and of course, the story leads back to having an encounter again with this terrorist group uh, led by a a Chechen fundamentalist who I play. And, um, you know, it's funny because I, I do play a lot of... Um, Bad guys. Yeah, I do play a fair amount. And I think one of the reasons, uh, partly for that, is a couple of years ago I, I did a, a pilot for a series and it was a time travel um, uh, pilot. You uh-huh. know, and I had to play um, the descendants of this certain man um, through time uh-huh. and what they had to do is to shave my head and give me a wig and uh, when I had finished that um, that project unfortunately did get picked up but uh, as a, you know as is the case with a lot of pilots unfortunately um, but I came back um, to Canada and um, I had this bald head and um, within that first week I had two jobs to receding hairlines everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's the thing. You just got to, if it's receding, take it off. <laughs> <laughs> take well, it off. You're not fooling anybody. Well, we look forward to seeing you at GateCon this year. Oh, yeah. You coming to GateCon? I, I personally am coming to GateCon and uh, look forward to seeing you there again. And, Absolutely. Uh, you take care and I'll be talking to you soon. And thanks a lot for everything, David. My pleasure, David. Gateworld.net, your complete guide to Stargate.